greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on, uh, as always, I am your host, Patrick, and joined again for this probably very long jam-packed episode is my guest co-host, Leslie. And we're going to be discussing episodes 9 and 10 of Star Trek Picard, the finale, at, in Arcadia Parts 1 and 2. Um, I know we're we were talking before we started recording, and we wanted to make sure we didn't miss any of this. We have a lot to discuss um, from yeah. this, but normally how we've been doing these um, kind of episodes reviews is we've been running through the scenes by scenes, and then kind of talking about points that we uh, liked or disliked or thought was interesting. Um, but we're going to kind of, for the sake of time, because I have a feeling that this will probably be a long episode regardless. Um, we're going to try to move through that stuff pretty quick with a few points here and there, um, just to kind of get through the events of the episode. Also, you know, spoilers, if you haven't watched this, um, yet also I, I saw this, I'm a little angry about this, but at the same time, considering the current climate and the state of, of the country and of the world, I can see why they did this as well. You can now watch the entire season for free on, I believe, CBS's YouTube. So as someone who pays for CBS All Access, I'm a little angry about that. I can understand yeah. putting the premiere, like when they put the premiere of the episode up there to try to generate interest or buzz and be like, OK, you can watch the first episode. But if you want to watch the rest, you must subscribe to CBS All Access. But considering how uh, you and I are very fortunate to work in, in, a, in a business that we can work from home and we can still earn an income that during this time when people aren't able to do that, uh, who might want to really watch it or needs content to kind of fill out this self-isolation, uh, quarantine time, uh, but don't have the money to, to kind of spill out for the service can watch it and, you know, have some fun time with their family. So I can't be too upset with them, but at the same time, right. it does anger me a little bit, but, uh, you can go and watch the entire uh, season on there right now. Um, so if you don't want anything spoiled, you know, go ahead and pause us or come back to us later after you've watched it. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it and, uh, we're, we're going to cover all the events of episode nine and 10, just back to back, like straight through. Cause I try and kind of consider it all as one episode anyways. Um, and then we're probably going to go into deep, deep discussion. So, Episode nine opens up with uh, the La Serena going through the Borg conduit um, and faces a little turbulence. They arrive at Soji's planet. Um, 
about 24 to 48 hours before the Romulan fleet. Uh, they managed to jump 25 light years in 15 minutes, which, you know, kind of goes back to how Voyager was able to get back from the Delta Quadrant uh, to uh, the Alpha Quadrant at the end of their series. Uh, and here's one of our first points, because you were the one who did the extra research on this. The planet's name is Capellius, and I, I know you have the information about the importance of that name. Yeah, I just, when I heard the name, and especially when I saw it in the caps, I thought, I wonder if that's a reference to anything. So I Googled it, and actually one of the very first results that I got was a reference to a comedic ballet that premiered in 1870, and it was about a Dr. Capelius who created a lifelike dancing doll that was so lifelike and so real that one of the villagers actually fell in love with it. And then, of course, comedy ensues and it all gets wrapped up in the third act. Which is, you know, kind of an an interesting also throwback to the sequence when she's remembering or having the dream and she's trying to when Narek is trying to isolate where she came from. Um, Not only the kind of the Pinocchio theme, but the fact that she sees herself as a wooden doll on the gurney, it's kind of like it still kind of fits within that. So obviously the writers were really thinking hard and, and putting some, um, uh, interesting tidbits or, or intent in naming of the planet. Um, then Narek arrives, um, shortly after them coming out of the same conduit. Uh, there's a nice little ship fight and I don't know. Cause I know you're not, you've seen the movies of the next generation movies, but I know it's been a while for you, but do you, uh, get the importance of the seatbelts? Um, I just kind of got it from, from like the newer movies and things like that. that They finally added seatbelts. So, uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but I know about the deleted scene, but there was, uh, I think there was a line about how Picard wished that there were seatbelts for the chairs. Cause every time that they would, you know, get into a fight, you know, they'd always be thrown out of their chairs. Well, an insurrection or not, uh, insurrection, I keep saying insurrection nemesis, uh, there's a deleted scene after they uh, repair the Enterprise E, they added a seatbelt function to his chair. Um, so I, I liked kind of seeing that uh, coming in into the fruition with the La Serena. Um, also, the Borg cube immediately arrives. Uh, and then we have the orchids in space kind of coming up from the planet. Uh, each one envelops um, the ship, except for the Borg cube, because they can't cover the entire ship. They managed to knock out all the electronics and bring all the ships down to the planet. Um, I thought this line was a little weird. I, I know I feel I felt like there was something to be important about it, but it really didn't play out to be anything. But Picard, after I think it's after they crash or as they're crashing, uh, he says, thank you for coming, everyone. And I, I felt like that was like it was supposed to be somebody talking through him. But it that was is immediately what I thought. But it really it was just part of his condition. And considering that they haven't talked about or he hasn't experienced kind of the the time hopping that he did and all good things, um, it didn't quite make sense. And it never came out to play throughout the rest of the of the fi- finale. So I thought that was a little weird. Um, then we have Picard waking up in the sick bay. Girardi discovers Picard's condition. Uh, he informs the crew of it. Of course, they're all kind of flabbergasted and uh, he's telling them not to pity him, that he's still got a mission and he wants to complete it. Um, 
we're on a class M planet. Uh, Soji's memories are jumbled. The, uh, and she's asked, do they hate humans? And she thinks no. Uh, but of course, as the episode kind of plays out, there is a, it, it, that's not the exact answer. And it, again, it, this will play into some of, I think the issues that you and I had with kind of the overall things that happen in, uh, part of the story for the finale. Um, the Romulans will arrive in one or two days. They go to check on the Borg cube crash and hope that, uh, oh, I like this line, hope and odds make bad bed- bedfellows, um, yeah. which is very, very true. Um, they, uh, the XBs uh, recognize, of course, Picard as Locutus again, Elnor and Seven greet them. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how I feel about how they kind of came up with a, a, uh, excuse for how the board cube, uh, was able to follow them. Like seven saw the path of the La Serena while connected to the cube. But again, this is where they do a bad thing of throughout the show of kind of not showing the timeline of events exactly. Cause I mean, the last we saw she was disconnected and you know, we don't know exactly when the disconnect happens from the board cube to versus when they go in the, in the conduit. So they didn't, it would have made more sense as while she was still connected to the collective on the ship, she goes, oh, I see the La Serena, uh, they have a tail or something like that. It would have made... Yeah, they, it could have been on a screen or something that she could have shown Elnor. Right. It, it just, it, it it felt too convenient that like, oh, we'll just do this little line of exposition uh, and everything will be fine. But considering we saw most of the moments of when she was connected to the collective, uh, it didn't quite make sense. Of, of course, especially when we disconnected, she could have even said we need to go after Picard. We need to help Picard. We just didn't get any type of line for that. Um, They still have power uh, on the cube. At least they think they were using battery power to kind of rehook up systems. Uh, So they, Rafi and Rios are hooking up scanners. They find that there are 218 warbirds on the way. Uh, Soji has a moment in her old room. Elnor, as they're about to leave, is upset over Picard's condition Um, but this is kind of Eleanor's moment of validation because Picard tells him how proud of him he is. Uh, and you can really kind of see the effect that has on Eleanor. Um, we arrive at Capellia station. Uh, there's twin synthetics all with kind of data's coloring. And I, I, I noticed this on the second, but I might've just kind of not, uh, really, I, I I don't know. Cause I, when I was watching it, but then when I was trying to look for some of them later, I didn't quite see them. It looked like there were some normal looking ones, like normal human looking ones. Uh, yeah. But then, Cause I had wrote down, why do some have data skin and eyes and some don't. Right. But then when there were other scenes, like I couldn't quite find the ones that looked more human. They all looked like data skin and coloring. So, uh, I I'm, I'm assuming that maybe they were, um, possibly kind of backups in, in the in the event that both Dodge and Soji uh, died in their mission, that then they could send in others like Maddox's plan was to possibly have some type of backup plan in case those two were to fail. But, you know, we don't really get any explanation for that. Um, Arcana, one of the twins, uh, greets them, uh, has a kind of interesting moment looking at Picard uh, talking about how each of the lines are uh, hold grief, but also hold uh, like 
uh, memories and, and pride and, and all these things. It was a nice little little um, short monologue. Uh, they warned the colony that the Romulans are on the way. Uh, they had 15 orchids, but they're down to 10, and they'll try to make more to use as a defense uh, mechanism. And then, and this is one I know you and I talked about, uh, that we don't quite know how we, we feel about it. Like, it makes sense, but at the same time, uh, it's a little convenient, but we have Alton Indigo Soong, who is the son of uh, Data's creator, um, but was neglected by his father, and, and uh, his father created Data in his image. Now, it was a clever means to get Brent Spiner there um, without having to do the Data makeup and have him still, you know, be a part of the Star Trek universe and have him as a kind of surprise guest on the show. Uh, we know he's played an ancestor of Soong in um, an Enterprise, so it doesn't surprise me too much. But it, it does feel a little weird having him there. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just kind of all of that. When I first saw him, I was I was happy to see him because I'm like, oh, you know, they get to bring him back. And he gave life, such life to this character, you know, and I was like, it, it's nice to allow him to be able to be a part of this. And I feel like that was probably the biggest reason why we got this little throwaway that he's a, the actual organic son of Dr. Sung. You know, like, I, I feel like it was just a way to get him in there more yeah. than it really affected the story at all. Right. Um, but it, yeah, it, overall, it's very, very nice. Um, and then we are as uh, as Soji is kind of filling in Sung and. And uh, I guess there weren't really any other um, synthetics around, but just kind of talking about the events and everything and her mission, um, we're introduced to Sutra, who is the sister version of Jana, uh, and she has the data coloring and everything. Um, and they talk about the how the admonition was possibly intended for synthetics. Uh, and I know this was a big pain point for you and I, um, that she learned everything about Vulcans and she learned how to mind meld. And that bothers both of us. Cause like, yeah. as far as we know, only Vulcans, not even Romulans, but Vulcans are the only ones who can do mind melds. Um, and how can a synthetic with an artificial brain, uh, and, and wiring and, and electricity and all that stuff. How are they able to mind meld with an organic without being like, yeah. you know, in the sense it would have made more sense had they done like some type of interface hookup and a holodeck thing. Exactly. That's what I was expecting. You know, it does not quite make sense that a, a synthetic, especially what would probably be an older version or older model of Soji to be able to, do this very complex method. Cause like we humans can be mind melded with, but a human can't mind meld with like another human or perform the task themselves. So it was just really weird that, 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 that was in there, but they that needed... was a huge MacGuffin. Yes. Huge. Yes. Cause it, it, the whole point of it is to, to explain what the true message behind the admonition is. Um, and I, and as I was watching this the second time, this really kind of bothered me. Uh, that they are synthetics that live outside time and space. It's not so much the space part that bothers me, but the time. Like, I, I 
it's this isn't Doctor Who, and I know we've had plenty of uh, you know time travel episodes and and, th- and alternate timelines and mirror universes, but I just don't know how these synthetics can live outside of time, other than the fact that they're they're synthetic, so they basically have no concept of time. And they don't have to worry about aging or really dying. I mean, they even make the point about immortality. Uh, that's the reason why organics from 200,000 years ago uh, wanted to destroy them and ended up destroying themselves. Which, again, is like really weird because their whole point is we're creating this signal for evolved synthetics to reach out to us we will save you and we will destroy the organics. But their whole message was the organics destroyed themselves. So why wouldn't you let the organics destroy themselves? And then you have the synthetics, you know, left. It doesn't, doesn't quite add up to me. Yeah, it doesn't quite jive. I wondered if they meant outside of time in the sense that you said, because they're AI and they're immortal. So they don't experience time in the same way that organics do. But, when we get to the second half of, of the finale in episode 10 and we see how they're being reached, that enters into a whole different perspective or scenario other than... Different ballgame. Yeah, it's a complete different ballgame. Um, so then we get to see Soong's lab. Uh, Girardi's there kind of talking to him, uh, and he gives her a little bit of uh, a talking to about murdering Maddox. Uh, but he is working on a Gollum uh, android, um, which, of course, is a big uh, I mean, it was, you know, red, not red flags, but it was a big. Oh, oh, this is important. This is going to come into play later. And I think you and I talked about uh, beforehand what I thought was going to happen. And I know we had a different kind of theory about how they would do this, but it didn't quite play out that way, uh, which we'll get to when we get to the second half. Uh, but that uh, Girardi will be able to help because uh, Soong is more uh, parts and Girardi and Maddox were more like brains. So like he needs help with uh, developing the mind transfer. He has a sense of urgency for he wants to use this for himself. But again, this is kind of like lax writing in the sense of like we don't understand why it's urgent for him. Like we, right. we, don't, we don't get any explanation that he's ill or he's dying or anything like that. Um, the only part where urgency comes in that makes sense to me is in the other is then the next episode in 10 when they're going to call these beings and they're going to kill every, anything that's organic. So he wants to hurry up and be synthetic. Right. So like if if that conversation maybe happened after kind of the the betrayal that happens later on in this episode, it would make more sense uh, than versus happening beforehand. Um, Sutra and Soji are arguing over a plan. We don't know what it is, but we can kind of get an idea. Uh, And I think we're we're not supposed to like Sutra anyways. Um, She's definitely she's very much like lore um, and she's very cold and uh, I want to say highly logical, but she's not really highly logical. It's but it's it's just in the sense like she's just it, it, it's synthetics or synthetics only and nothing else. Um, and it's very much a very lore kind of take. Um, she's a supremist. <laughs> yes, very much. She's a synthetic supremist. So, uh, yes, very much so. Uh, then we have that Narek is captured uh, and is kind of locked away. 
I love that we had Spot 2. Um, you know, yeah. And they got a cat that looked very, very close to Spot from the from Next Generation. So I was very, very pleased with that. Uh, nice little throwback to Next Generation. Uh, Girardi is deciding to stay and work with Soong while um, Rios and Rafi are going to go back to the ship to repair it to try to evacuate all the synthetics off planet before the Romulans were would arrive. Uh, Picard and Rafi have a little bit of a tender moment. Um, also, Picard is trying to reach Starfleet, but is having trouble getting through. Narek is being very manipulative in his cage, trying to get... Uh, what was her name? Is it Safta? Saga. Saga. See, I heard it three different times on my rewatch that I could not. I had it. I had it written down. I scratched it out. I changed it to what I thought it was. Then I heard it a different time and I, I could not find. OK, thank you, because I could not <laughs> get it right. Uh, but Soji stops Saga. Yeah, they all have interesting names. Very much so. And I think that the, all their names are, are kind of important because like her twin is Arcana. Uh, which would be like, you know, old uh, kind of mystical saga being grand and uh, epic. Uh, so it's um, they're very um, intentional names. Now, I can't tell you about what Sutra and Jana would mean, but I'm sure there's some meaning behind it. Um, Narek tries to manipulate Soji and, and she uh, doesn't allow it to happen. And then uh, Picard and Soji have have a uh, sil- philosophical debate about sacrifice uh, and the taking of life to save a life, which comes very much into importance in the second half of the finale. Um, Sutra makes a deal with Narek um, during this time also, and uh, Soji points the the question of what if killing is the only way to survive, uh, and Picard doesn't quite like hearing this. Um, Saga is murdered by... Well, at this time, we assume by Narek uh, because uh, of Sutra making that deal. And uh, we have Saga with her like blue bird pendant sticking out of her eye. Um, So this is kind of all the end of the episode. Sutra is making a grand speech on how horrible organics are. Picard tries to be the voice of reason. Uh, saying that he will speak to uh, speak for them in the Federation, but even soon kind of is being very defensive of the synthetics because they are his children, uh, saying, well, they didn't listen to you before. They're not going to listen to you now. Uh, so they decide to put him under house arrest while they begin to build the uh, beacon to reach these higher synthetic beings. And um, Girardi decides to help soon in Sutra, which you had a different take on this uh, than I did, but I had the feeling that she was doing this to be kind of a person on the inside for Picard, and you didn't quite think that. Isn't that right? Uh, well, I was hoping that was true, but I was like, is she just doing this to get out of a murder charge like, to, and also to pursue because she, like Bruce Maddox and like Soong, was constantly you know, in the pursuit of this... Um, what do I want to say, like perf- perfect um, synthetic being and the being surrounded by all of them that maybe she was, you know, romanced by it, you know, that she could be here and continue the work and, you know, that sort of thing. Could very could have very well been like I, I, I definitely think that that would have been a valid point. And had it played out that way, I wouldn't have been like, oh, that's wrong. That, that wouldn't make sense that this character would do this. Um, but I, I 
I did like how kind of the events turned out in in the second half. Um, and so the first episode or the first half of this ends with O and the Romulan fleet on their way. So that's the end of part one. We're going to go right into part two. Um, Narek arrives at the Borg cube and Elnor and Seven are talking about the XBs. Now, this bothered me because I, I get it. I understand how. And I finally remembered the phrase that they would use in the show. But Narissa has been hiding on the Borg cube the entire time. And that really bothered me. It, yeah, it bugged me so much because they it, it just it didn't make sense. It it she teleported. And I guess what she did was a sight to sight teleport versus I assume that she teleported onto a bird of prey because like I assume somebody teleported her out onto their ship. Right. Cause like they, they don't, if they would, again, if they would have shown us something like her then going into hiding before the Borg cube left to go after the La Serena or something, it would have made more sense, but no, they don't show us this thing. And then it was just like, well, what's an easier way to get, uh, to get Narissa back on the planet or something like that. It really bothered me. I did not like this at all. Um, yeah, she obviously used that same beam out in the fight scene with Elmore and Hugh, and they never explained to us, is this something that she has on her person? Does she activate it, like, with the way she flicks her eyes or something? Like, there's literally no explanation. There's just absolutely nothing for you except, here it is, just accept it. Right, because even in that, in that scene when she's... Uh, when after she killed Hugh and, and she was teleporting, you would think if it was something that she could activate herself, she would have stayed long enough to kill Elnor before teleporting away at that at that point. So it just it didn't make sense. It really bothered me. Um, but she uh, she and uh, Narek are coming up with a plan. He wants her to get the uh, the weapon systems activated, which was another thing that felt really weird because. Picard had asked seven to get the weapon systems activated. Uh, so now we have two different factions doing the same task, but it doesn't quite play out that way. And then he's taking uh, these grenades to then go and take out the synthetics. But Narek's got something else uh, in mind. We see Picard in house arrest. Uh, and this is when I was realizing that my my take on what Girardi was going to do was was about spot on. Uh, Girardi's yeah. keeping an eye on Soji. Uh, Soji's trying to convince Picard that this is the right way. Uh, so we see Girardi's kind of being a little a little sneaky around uh, the station. Um, they are building the beacon to contact the ancient synthetics. Um, oh, I guess this was still... Uh, he wasn't taking them to destroy the uh, the orchids. He was taking them to destroy... The synthetics. He was taking them to destroy the orchids. At least that's what he tells to Narissa... Narissa begins to bring the weapons online. Um, Narek goes to leave, but obviously Eleanor uh, is following him out of the cube. Mm-hmm. Rios and Rafi are, are using the tool to get the ship back up and uh, running, which I, I, I kind of like that scene. It was a nice little fun scene when she's, you know, she's too chicken to allow herself to go anywhere near that thing. Uh, so she kind of talks uh, Rios into doing it. And uh, and just in the cases that it might not work uh, in the best manner. Uh, and then they're both really surprised when it works very well. Um, we have Soong and Girardi working together to get the mind transfer working. Um, 
but I, if I'm remembering this correctly, he's working on downloading uh, Saga's memories and she tells him, oh, there's encrypted files that I need you to unencrypt for me to get this to work. And he leaves and she then uh, takes out uh, the eye of Saga. Um, yeah. We go back to the to the La Serena and Narek is throwing rocks at the La Serena. Um, and this is when we learn that he actually has a completely different plan. He wants to work together um, with Rios and Rafi and Elnor um, she's unable to, uh, Rafi's unable to contact Picard. Uh, and, uh, he's explaining like, well, we need to stop this beacon, uh, before the Romulans arrive and before these ancient synthetic beings can arrive to save, uh, the world. Um, well, I liked that, um, when Elnor came in, uh, Narek was like, yes, I very much choose oh, to yes, live. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't write that down, but I loved that. I love that kind of thing because he goes, oh, you know, please choose to live. And he's like, yes, I, I very much choose to live. Uh, and it's kind of the snake that Narek is like he's really kind of as much as he's doing this because he does truly love Soji. Uh, he's still out there to kind of save his own neck. And he's seeing which way the tide's going to turn, but still also trying to. uh to complete his mission. Cause even back on the Borg cube, he makes the, the comment to Narissa like, Oh, I'm the washed up Jat Vash failure who was able to find this planet and take us, you know, and get us ready to stop this. Like he does make the point, like you guys all, you know, didn't think I could do anything. You guys disgraced me, but here I am the one with the plan, the one who led you here and who's ready to complete the mission. Um, I did jump a little bit early, I guess. Uh, Girardi, at this point, is going to soon to unencrypt the coding. And then she does something with Saga's eye. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, Narek then, at this point, is telling kind of the end of the world mythology. Uh, it's their kind of version of, like, Ragnarok or Revelations. Um, and we'll get into, because I know you and I, before we started recording, we had we were having a very interesting discussion about <laughs> a certain line that's in this that we'll we'll get to near uh, at the once we do kind of our over or our more detailed analyzation of stuff. Um, they make a plan to sneak back into the colony. Uh, Narek also explains that uh, the grenades are meant for the tower and and not for the orchids. Uh, Girardi uses the eye to get to Picard. And this was the funny thing um, that she makes the comment like, oh, see, I'm such a good double agent. Like, this is this is fun. <laughs> like, it was it was somewhat, you know, it's like what you would expect from someone who uh, doesn't really think like they could live in the action lifestyle. But then all of a sudden they find themselves in a James Bond movie and they're doing the James Bond stuff like they'd be like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Like, I love this. <laughs> um, the golem is complete, but also at this time. Sung sees that Sutra killed Saga. Uh, it wasn't Narek. Narek just held her. And so at this time, uh, he ends up deciding to help, which I, I mean, I, I, I get it, it, but it felt like a really quick turn. Like it was a real quick 180 uh, for him to all of a sudden be like, oh, yes, I'm now going to help these people stop these ancient synthetics from saving my children. Um, yeah, I think that character is really emotionally motivated. So before, when he turned on the organics or the rest of humanity so easily, he was emotionally motivated by the fact that he thought they had killed one of his children. And of course, they've killed Jana before and right. Flower. 
And so now when he realizes, oh, it was Sutra, you know, the emotions well up again. And he's like, well, obviously it's her fault and I need to kill her or something. Right. It it just, um, again, I think it's maybe just because like how quickly we're introduced to this character and he's not really uh, fleshed out well. Like, I mean, he's very much assumed... But, like, we, we don't know him well enough to, like, really understand those true motivations. Like, it made more sense that he would immediately side with the synthetics after Saga being murdered, uh, regardless of any kind of subterfuge or, th- or things like that. But it, it just, like, was quick. It was just all of a sudden, yes, now I'm helping you guys. And, and it was just like, I mean, I get it. And you're, you're telling us Soong's a good guy. And I, I get that. But it was just really quick and kind of convenient. Um, yeah. So Picard and Girardi, all, uh, for some reason, just went all the way straight to the La Serena. Um, and I did like that Picard is the one who gets the ship like up and running to go back up into space. He's like, um, did I pay en- did I pay enough attention to Rios navigating this thing to actually understand it? Uh, and he does to kind of go up there and be some type of. Uh, defense for the 218 warbirds that are coming Um, as they're getting the beacon kind of ready to go Soong reveals to Sutra he knows about her actions and this was a part that you and I both picked up on Uh, he deactivates Sutra and that's like it no more Sutra for the rest of the episode (laughs) and uh, you and I both kind of felt like there would have been something else there that would have made more sense um, to do. Like maybe Sutra would have reactivated herself or had some type of subroutine that would have prevented him from fully being able to deactivate her. But nope, just like that, she's she's done and out of the count. Um, we see Picard getting kind of getting used to the controls. He's kind of weaving in and out up in space, uh, out in the orbit of the planet uh, Narek, uh, is trying to plead to Soji, um, and Rios throws the grenade. Soji catches it, throws it, uh, up in the air. And so she foils the plan. Uh, Narissa is caught by seven. We have the Romulan fleet arriving. There's like a lot that happens here in, in just these like 20 minutes. Uh, it's yeah. Just like, like boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom. It, it is all just hitting. Soji activates the orchids, uh, seven and Narissa fight. And as much as I liked the outcome of this fight, uh, it also felt really easy. Do you wonder if she's still alive? Because I wonder. I I, I wonder, but at the same time, like, she felt You don't get a body. Well, yeah, you don't get a body. Yeah, you don't get a body, but... And when we don't see... By the end of this, we don't see where Narek goes off to. So we don't know if he goes back to try to find her. Yeah, um, couldn't she transport herself in midair and just fall onto another piece of the ship? Well, that's if she if she did have like on herself a sight to sight transporter and it wasn't someone else activating it. Like again, that's the whole problem with that scene of her when she's being attacked by the XBs in, in the in episode eight, uh, and she teleports. Like we're assuming that she went to a warbird or bird of prey and uh and she's with the fleet 
But no, she went from point A to point B just in the board cube, but we never saw her activate it. We don't know if she has a device on her hand. We don't know if maybe the earpiece on, on her ear is something that can activate it. Like, just we don't have any idea. And uh, I think one of the biggest things you and I found that was a flaw in this finale was there was no adequate cliffhanger. Um, and yeah. that would have been something that they could have done or, or just a quick scene of uh, unless I missed it, because, you know, they do do post credit scenes um, for shows nowadays. And, and I, I'm going to try to look here real quick. Um, yeah, I, I didn't um, watch through the credits to see if there was one. So I would have missed it, too. I, I had them playing for a little bit, but I, I just didn't uh, keep it going. But there could have possibly been some type of post credit scene. But as I, I'm seeing, there's there's nothing. Um, so I don't think that we we actually get anything that would be an adequate type of cliffhanger. So yeah, she could very well be alive. We don't quite know. Um, I would think that seven would be kind of smart enough to go and try to check, but at the same time, depending on how far she fell, is it worth you trying to go level after level after level, uh, to, you know, try to find a body. Uh, and that was one thing I did want to mention. Uh, I did like, that we were able to see the scale of a Borg cube compared to a human size um, when yeah. they're going to go visit it. Cause like it, it truly gives you kind of the, the picture of how big this structure is versus seeing it going as a fight in a ship or people just being on board it. Um, Picard and Girardi come up with a plan um, basically to do kind of a mirror image thing uh, where they, it looks like there's hundreds of Las Serenas. Uh, doesn't quite work that well. Um, Picard is playing to Soji the power down the beacon, um, and he's telling him that he's willing to sacrifice his life for them. Uh, this is where the Mirage fleet kind of comes in, yet Soji still activates the beacon. Um, and... Uh, so this was one thing I was kind of mentioning to you before we started recording as well, because uh, you didn't quite know or didn't understand. And I just still don't either. I'm just kind of making this kind of assumption. So it or opens up like this portal. So I have to assume that this is like a, a different universe like or, or something like parallel is dimension. It a different dimension. Yeah. I mean, because it doesn't it's not well explained because uh, like from what we understand is it was just supposed to send a signal out. And it does match kind of Narek's mythology thing about where it opens up a door to a realm of demons. And like, that's where it fits with his, with the Romulan mythology. But uh, we still don't quite understand where these ancient synthetics, and we don't see them well enough. Like we only get like tentacles of, of robotic metal that are reaching they, through. They look like Doc Ock arms. Yes, they very much so. And they also, and this is what I'm thinking is supposed to be possibly a connection to Star Trek Discovery, which with you not having really watched uh, a lot of Discovery, season two dealt with this kind of self-aware AI that travels from the future to try to ensure its creation. And yet they treated it like it was the Borg, um, but at the same time, it wasn't the Borg. So I'm wondering if this is supposed to be the same type of AI that the discovery, uh, was dealing with in, in their story. Now, 
I know discovery doesn't quite happen, or at least from my understanding, discovery is not happening, happening in the same timeline as Picard, because I know Picard is set for sure in the prime timeline and discovery was supposed to be, but then it's kind of not. Uh, that's just one of the myriad problems of, of Star Trek discovery. Uh, so it, it is very, um, Weird, interesting, like we don't get an idea. We don't understand. We don't really fully see them. Uh, we don't even really know if their intent was to actually just wipe out humanity. We just get what what Sutra tells us was their plan. So um, also at this time, then, uh, as they're getting ready to. Uh, yes, this is kind of right. Uh, the but beacon hasn't been shut down yet, but Starfleet arrives. And much like I predicted, we got to see Riker in command of a starship. I'm, <laughs> I'm still still annoyed it was not the Titan, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> but my other problem is, and, and you and I were talking about this before, um, this is obviously the part where they were running low on budget because, one, all of the Starfleet ships are all the same class. They all look like the Akira class, uh, and they don't look that great from the CG. But I still love seeing Riker behind the command of a chair and he and he does it great. Like, I want to see a Riker spinoff. That's that's just what I want to see now. Um, so the Romulans are deciding to, that they're going to fight Starfleet uh, and Starfleet, of course, is acting in accordance with the first contact scenario. Um, Picard's condition is worsening. He asks Girardi to uh, give him medication that will um advance the the condition which will basically end up taking his life but will allow him to at least be able to talk to soji uh he pleads with her again soji shuts the beacon down the romulans leave picard passes out soji beams them back to the colony um and this was a really powerful moment that does um kind of get undermined but picard dies and uh then we kind of get a, a, a few sequences of some uh, grief scenes. We see Rios and Seven kind of sharing a drink. Seven kind of lamenting the fact that she had to take a life out of anger. Um, and that's something she said she would never quite do again. And Rios, you know, said, well, I let a stubborn captain back into my heart and I never would let that happen. I really I really like that moment. Uh, we see Rafi and El Elnor grieve and, you know, Ra uh, Elnor just breaks down because this is so, you know, heartbreaking for him. And I like that, like Rafi was just there and just going, let it out. Just just cry like it, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. But here's here's where we kind of get into our kind of undermining of that. We have Picard waking up and it's Picard and Data in the simulation. Now, I did like that this is Data's consciousness, that he actually did live, that be, uh, basically I assume that Maddox, even though it was a failure in B4 to actually have his consciousness take over the positronic uh, network in his brain, uh, they were still able to take it and keep his consciousness alive on Capella Station. Um, so they uh, uh, have transferred basically uh picard's brain into the golem uh and data wants um picard to terminate his consciousness so that he can actually die uh and have the sense of mortality you had the line down uh, written down right 
Yeah, um, mortality gives meaning to human life. Right, and that's a, a very, very good point and, and very important. Um, after Picard wakes up, uh, and he asks, like, am I real? And of course they say yes. We learn his body's not augmented, and he does have a life expectancy. Uh, it was the life expectancy that he would have had had he not had the brain abnormality. Um, and he then tells him about how it, that he has a favor he has to return. And this is a kind of a nice mirror with how the, the season started, because we started on the Enterprise and a dream, but Blue Skies was playing, and Data is listening to Blue Skies as he's preparing himself um, to die. And they're kind of having a eulogy for Data as they're unplugging each of the um, um, basically USBs at, at this point. Um, <laughs> and as each one's being unplugged, like Data, Data is aging and uh, growing old. And finally, he, he dies. And Picard is there in the simulation. Like, it's not really explained how he's there and not there, but it was still kind of beautiful to still have him there um and then we are back on the la serena uh we have rios and and girardi which i guess girardi's just never going to answer for her crimes because she seems to be a part of the crew of the ship now um maybe they you know gave her uh consideration for the fact that she was being taken advantage of by O, um and that she was kind of forced to do it not that she necessarily wanted to do it um and we then have a really weird moment with Rafi and Seven that was just, it wasn't earned. It wasn't earned. I did like the fact that they were playing the game from Voyager, but they hold hands and it's just, it was shoehorned in. It just was very shoehorned in. Um, we learned that the band is lifted uh, and we don't really have any idea of what their mission is now, but we get the good old engage and that's the end of the season. So where do you want to start with this discussion? <laughs> um, can I go back to that scene when Picard first wakes up yeah. um, in the simulation with Data and just say, when he first opened his eyes and looked around, I thought it was going to be Q for a second. Oh, trust me, I did too. I, I seriously thought Q was going to be like, you're dead again, Picard, <laughs> and, and and talk to him for a second. Um, it totally makes sense that it was Data, yeah. but there was like a good few seconds where I was like waiting for John Delancey to be on screen. <laughs> we, we, uh, we need to get him at least in season two. I mean, if you can't have this show and, and not have Q show up at some point. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a major thing. He no. just—I just wanted him to just be there for a second. Because even because uh, like uh, what I would even like to see because of course John Delancey is is older now as well. I'd like to see him show up and be like, "Hey, I decided to allow myself to age because of my interactions with you, or something like that." You know, to yeah. like I give up kind of the powers of the Q continuum. Like even you said, uh, I think uh, we didn't mention it on the podcast, but I know we mentioned it in a discussion uh, of theory that the pilot that Riker and Troy's daughter is friends with uh, on the Penthe. Captain Frandall. Yeah, that that might actually be Q. And that if we can have some type of resolution to that, that would be fantastic. Or, or just we need to have some type of Q moment in season two or at some point in this show's history, because it, it's just, it's too important. He's too important of a character to Picard to not have him at, at all. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I want to see him. I want at least one episode, and he can just cameo. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Um, you want to start with like probably what the easier MacGuffin here was with how easy everything was with Sutra. Yeah, you know, it it is very like because I I they kind of set her up in the first part of this finale as really kind of the bad person we have to go after. Like, I, I, I don't like, although I know and I understand and I, I don't dislike what they did with Soji making the choice of whether or not to be the destroyer or not. But it, it, the destroyer in, in all intents and purposes was Sutra. It was not Soji. It was not Dodge. It was going to be Sutra. Sutra was set up to be the main antagonist for this finale, but she's so easily deactivated. It just, it, it ruined that moment. I wanted to see her come back. Soji be like, okay, I'm not doing this. Like I'm not going to activate this beacon. Like Picard's up there. He's ready to sacrifice himself for my community, for my family. I'm not going to do it. And then Sutra reactivating herself and being like, all right, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to knock you out. And then we would have had a fight between Soji and Sutra, which I think would have been more compelling and would have made much more sense because we've this entire time when once Soji has learned about her, her origins, she has assumed that she was going to be the destroyer. What better way for her to learn that it was never her in the first place? Yeah, and I still cannot get over the fact that Sutra could do a Vulcan mind meld. Yeah, I, it, just that, does, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Oh, it bothers I was me. Ex- yeah, it really does. I was expecting her to like have some sort of technical way to do it. Even, even if like when she put her hand up to Girardi's face and there was like almost like the Borg nanotubules. Yeah. You know, like something come out of her fingers and go into Girardi's head. Like the fact that she can do a mind meld just baffles me because they haven't given us any reason like to think that androids can have a telepathic ability. Right. There, There is nothing that makes sense. Like it was never just because they hit like certain pressure points on, on the face and on the temple does not mean that that's just all it takes to do a mind meld. Plus, Vulcans, trust me, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Vulcans do have a, a a a bit of like telepathy, you know, not to a great extent or anything like that. But once they do this mind meld, like that's that's the whole purpose of it because that was the whole purpose of Sarek and and uh, Picard doing the mind meld was to share parts of of Sarek's life so then he could still live because he was facing that debilitating brain disease and by kind of like offloading some of these memories and these feelings and these emotions onto Picard it was able to ease his time and give him more time that's that's the whole point of like the mind melt is to do a shared organic experience and an emotional experience at that too and since synthetics are not inherently emotional except for like the advanced ones like Soji uh it it just it does not make sense at all like I said Romulans can't even do mind melds humans can't do mind melds uh maybe other species out there that are more uh telepathic could do a version of it but they couldn't do the mind meld themselves the closest thing that someone can do that is a Vulcan technique is the Vulcan uh nerve pinch like, that's it, because that's just a, a cluster of nerves uh, in any organic being. 
It's more of a just an attack versus something that is almost biological, if that makes sense. Yeah, it it, it 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 did bother me a whole lot and it still bothered me on my second watch through. It's like this. This doesn't make sense. We need to have some interface or, you know, by God, you, you used a Borg trans warp like you couldn't get the La Serena up and running. Like I, I honestly kind of expected the final fight, the final battle, space battle, everything to all take place on uh, the uh the conclave oh, yeah. of a play planet like they would have yeah. taken sutra to the planet or even soji to the planet and done and held on to that ring and gotten the full message that way because even even with the mind melt you know not even the romulans that went through the admonition got the full picture so how is so or sutra able to extrapolate everything of only pieces that only their minds could uh, comprehend. It's not like they were able to comprehend or solve the entire message. So somehow Sutra is able to do a technique that she shouldn't be able to do because she's synthetic. And then also to extrapolate all the information. Like that's where I go. Maybe these synthetics, these ancient synthetics aren't inherently evil because she's filling in the blanks herself of what the intended message is, because even the message she hears is in her own voice. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where when in, in movies and TV and in books and things like that, when you can obviously see a plot device, because having something be a plot device isn't necessarily evil, you know, it's not like a huge mistake on its own. Right. But when it's very obvious that you can tell, like, we're sticking this in here so that we can make X, Y, and Z happen, and it's like it's it's like a sore thumb, a blaring neon light that you can see. Exactly. And I just, uh, it, it, it did, it bothered me. It was one scene that bothered me a whole lot. Um, let's see, what, what else do we want to... Kind of um, I had on. I had down the no explanation for the higher synthetics. Right. We we only because, again, like we get that kind of we get to see what the tr- quote unquote true message of the 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 admonition being. But we don't get any idea of their origin, where they come from, when I mean, we get that they're like 200,000 years old or something like that, possibly from yeah. another dimension. I I wonder if they were supposedly trying to even make the viewer feel that they're evil because when the portal thing that opens in the sky, it's like red and then those tentacle things look kind of scary and they're blackish in color and maybe it's supposed to give you images of like a giant like monster coming out of the sky or something. The closest thing I can I can say that it is reminiscent of and and you wouldn't know this because I know you're not a a huge horror fan, um, but it's it's very uh, Lovecraftian HP Lovecraft, like, um, kind of call of Cthulhu, uh, ancient gods type of, of concept, because the whole thing with, um, like Lovecraftian mythology or his, his universe of works were basically alien creatures that came to earth and, and reigned as gods, but stuff like that, it's, it, uh, it fits very much with that. Like that's the vibe I got off of it. Having read Lovecraft, um, and in fact, if you even go back and watch uh, the original Hellboy movie, they have a moment where these like 
ancient gods are coming through a rift in, uh, that uh, Rasputin creates and they're tentacle-ish and, and space alien type things. Um, so, yeah, I think that they give the intent that these are are not great, um, you know, are not benevolent beings, but we don't get enough explanation. Like, even if they were going to make the connection that this is the same AI that was brought up in Discovery, they needed to do a better job of explaining that. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I'm not asking for them to, like, give me the life story and the whole dossier on exactly what they are, but they don't give you anything, like, literally at all. Well, I would have I would have more expected, other than some invading force, because, again, like, they set up the beacon to be a signal, not a portal. I would have expected an envoy, and we could have seen that envoy and uh, the envoy could have immediately like gone to attack Picard or Rios or Rafi or any of the organic characters on Capella Station, and um, and then they take him out, and we get some exposition of, well, we are blah blah blah. Uh, since I'm not returning, we will be back or something like that. So we get more of an idea. We get a name. We get an idea. Uh, we we understand from kind of the mythology story and we can move into this next if you want um that this goes way back to like the early times of the vulcans um to kind of create this this mythos this end of times um story that uh this creation had to be created somewhere. And the closest thing I can think of now, this is just popping in my head right now. If you remember the episode of Next Generation where I believe it's Romulans and possibly Klingons or maybe the Ferengi uh, and Starfleet and they're racing to find like what they think is this ancient civilization and it's just a message and it's talking about how like they're all kind of from the same DNA at some point. Like, yeah, you, you, yeah, you know, I remember. that maybe it's it was a creation from that ancient species, um, which could then possibly explain how they went extinct. But we again, like we're not given any type of clues, any type of details, any type of understanding about what this ancient higher synthetic life is. Yeah. Um, do you want to move in then to that kind of the, the point of um, Narek's um, story? Yeah. So on the second watch through, when I had my captions on so I could read everything, um, I noticed when Narek is telling this um, story to Rafi and Elnor and Rios, he says something along the lines of when before our ancestors first arrived on Vulcan. And I was like, wait a second. Are they establishing in this canon now that Vulcans did not evolve on planet Vulcan, that they were a different race from a completely different planet that then came to Vulcan? And I think that's a very, very interesting question. And uh, and we were having a really good discussion about this again before recording, um, which made me go, OK, we need to start recording because this is very, <laughs> very interesting going in depth. Um, so I kind of take that as, again, we're going back like 200,000 years ago. Uh, the creation of this, this synthetic life, we don't know who was behind it. We don't know who created it. But if 
we want to say that possibly these pre-Vulcans were maybe behind the creation of it, because it would make sense that maybe they were, and this is how their kind of end-of-time story uh, is created and, and is brought down, uh, you know, from generation to generation to generation, and could potentially then lead to the Vulcan-Romulan split, uh, that possibly whatever planet that they were on, that maybe the synthetic life was created, or maybe they were even innocent bystanders. Uh, that they that this kind of cataclysmic event happened, that was wiping out their world, and they managed to escape and come to Vulcan. And when Vulcans decided to go to the way of logic and you have the, the sect that decides to embrace their emotion uh, and kind of deceptiveness, that possibly the reason for that schism is their disagreement of the validity or the history of this ancient story about these end of times. And that potentially then after coming to Vulcan and developing as a species and you have a sect of, of the Vulcans going well, no, we remember this. We have these we have these stories. We have it written down. And the Vulcans, uh, the regular Vulcans taking the higher road of logic going, well, this is illogical. It's just a story. It's a narrative. It's it's based on nothing. And it's not based on fact uh, as they would evolve on this planet and become a more technological species, much as humans have with our creation mythos. Uh, or creation stories or, you know, it, mythology in general with the Greek, Greek gods, Roman gods, uh, you know, Ragnarok in Norse mythology and stuff like that, how we treat them now as stories versus p- potential history and things that actually happened or could have happened. And yeah. And if I can interject yeah. real quick, there's also precedent in the Star Trek universe for that to be the case mm-hmm. because you remember in the original series, Apollo was actually an alien. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's right. Uh, yeah, I totally had forgotten about that, that episode. And, um, yeah, so it, it's just, just kind of this thing of maybe the, the Romulan sect of Vulcan, uh, was like, no, we believe this to be true. And this is going to be part of our reason for breaking off and going to Romulus and becoming our own species and basically evolving down a different road. And then again, goes in to explain why the Jatvash is around and why they have this distrust of artificial intelligence and synthetic beings. So I, I think it's a, because we both wondered if maybe it was a gaff on the writing part or, uh, I think you had said that maybe it was uh, Harry Treadway messing up the line or something, but I, I'm wondering if there is a deeper meaning to it uh, that maybe we're looking into it too much, but I think it's a fascinating aspect to like look into the Star Trek universe. Well, yeah, and especially if it's a writing gaffe, that'll be one that the writers are like, oh my God, but... You know, you know that people are going to be hanging on every word. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't recall ever being told that Vulcans weren't originally from Vulcan. I'd have to go back and, and, and watch the Enterprise incident and also probably rewatch Reunification parts one and two and see if potentially there are any type of hints. Because I know Reunification definitely uh, explicitly kind of explains because it's it's uh, Spock trying to bring Romulus and Vulcan back together and yeah. to kind of become one people again. Maybe there are some hints 
there, possibly. I mean, not like they predicted that this show would be written 30 years in the future <laughs> or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a very, very interesting thing, especially I think like deep lore Star Trek fans are going to ruminate and kind of uh, debate and talk about and not I because, I, again, there's this kind of contingent of people who are just hating on it to hate on it. Uh, that will go, oh, that's not canon. That's not. No, that's never, never, never. But it's nothing, I think, egregious enough uh, to be like, well, this destroys Star Trek continuity or this destroys <laughs> the Vulcans altogether. I think it's just an interesting facet about their history that we don't know about. We we already had to like learn that Vulcans and Romulans, like they were one species and then they broke up and that that was a big like world shaker knowledge for us then too. So it's, it's one of these things I'm like, it's just really, I think it's one thing that's just really great to just think about and kind of philosophize about instead of being like this ruins continuity. Right. And go, and go straight into the kill. Um, let's see. Um, uh, the next, well, I had two more. Yeah, the ahead. next one was, I kind of felt a little disappointed with the Federation Romulan standoff. I kind of felt that Romulus gave in too easily and that we didn't get like a, a cool Star Trek space battle. Yeah. Now, I yeah. under I understand from the point of if I'm part of the Federation, I'm part of Starfleet. This was the perfect way for it to happen. There was no loss of life. There was no fight. But from a fan perspective, I'm like, dang it, I wanted to see a cool space battle. Yeah, I will always stand by that DS9 has the best uh, space battles. Um, mainly because for about, what, four, five seasons, all of it's basically on the space station or on planets. It's not not a whole lot of it is big, giant, epic space battles or, or stuff on ships so that they were able to conserve a lot of their budget and then just blow it all out on the Dominion War. Um, especially in the final season when you get those, when they're retaking DS9 and everything. Um, yeah. It, it's, I really wanted to see the space battle here too, especially since we got Riker back in the command of a ship. Exactly. Um, I was, I was ready. I and, was waiting for it. And then it was just like, oh, well, we're, we're going to leave. I'm and like, he was oh, ready for oh, it too. Okay. Like, you, you know, he was like, I mean, he's like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, just just do one thing. Just just piss me off and we'll see what happens. But I, I think it came down to a budget constraint because like the the first part of this kind of space battle with the orchids looks really good. Like, I really like the effects. Uh, I thought it was very impressive. But uh, I think that's where they kind of blew their wad and just went like, let's spend all the money on this. But then when we have Starfleet arrive, it's really evident that it's heavily CG'd and it's not the best CG. And I watched the CW uh, DC shows and they have some some really good CG and some really bad CG. Just go back and like watch Smallville. There's not great CG in that. And some of their CG looks better than the CG ships. And like, again, I had the problem that they were all the same model. Like, we didn't see any, like, Galaxy class. We didn't see, uh, you know, the Akira class. We, we Well, we saw the Akira class, but we didn't see any, like, like the, you know, type of Stargazer or the Miranda class or uh, any maybe even, like, Defiant, because I'm sure we would have more Defiant class starships or something like that. Uh, I expected more variation in, in what you would have seen in the fleet. Um, but, 
Yeah, it was. I like. I understood it. It made sense, and like, but it did feel like kind of O gave up very easily just because oh well they shut down the portal, but yeah that doesn't mean that they can't reactivate it at some point, right? right? Well, my my whole thought is that okay, these Romulans have been basically in this cult for what. 8,000 years, something like that, yeah, since something. they've been going to this thing and and taking the admonition. And all of a sudden, Picard gives one speech, one synthetic life form turns off the beacon, and you're like, yeah, well, okay. I, I don't know. Part of me thinks, well, maybe that's a season two thing. Like, they're like, okay, we're not going to fight the Federation right now, but we're going to come back and, like, terrorize the planet later. I don't know. Yeah, it, but it doesn't seem necessarily wise either because the Romulans are not necessarily in a position of power. Like, this was their power play. This was their way to say the Romulan Empire is back. Uh, I would assume that all 218 of those warbirds were the entire fleet that they have because... Romulus is gone. Well, they're down to 200 now well, because yeah. 18 of them. Right. But like Romulus is gone. And so there's not a whole lot of Romulans left and they don't have a centralized planet that they that they've kind of retaken or anything like that. So this was their power move and they just gave up very easily. And I, I, I agree, like diplomatically and how Star Trek is supposed to be with being more diplomacy over like even uh like Picard makes the point when they when Narek is doing his little um, trick when they at the beginning of episode nine and they're doing their little space battle, like he says, well, there's a po- a difference between killing an enemy and watching a wounded one die. Um, that like it's like a it's one thing if it's in the heat of battle versus oh here's a Romulan and he's bleeding out. I'm just going to stand here and watch him bleed out versus trying to save his life and then hold him for justice. That. They've always are trying to go the route of peace, but prepared for battle. And yeah, the the fact that they kind of turn tails and run away as cowards, it it doesn't quite feel justified. But I, I felt like it was completely budgetary. Like it, this was not really in the control of maybe the writers or the director. Uh, it was like, well, you spent all your money on this very lavish orchid battle that we can't really have a, a space battle. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. I think I know well, do you're... you want to, I was going to say, do you want to hit the big one? Yeah, I think, I think uh, we're going to move into your big one here. And that would be what I assume is the Picard resurrection. Yep. That's the big one. All right. Let's, let's start on that then. Okay. So I have a huge issue with the resurrection trope to begin with, like in comic books and science fiction and fantasy. Um, I was actually sitting there thinking about it after I watched the episode, trying to remember you know, times when they have brought a character back in any genre that I I was okay with it. And I was only able to come up with one, and it's Lord of the Rings when Gandalf comes back in The Two Towers. Oh, God. You mentioned, okay, before we go any further, before we go any further, because this is literally the thought I had, especially when it kept happening near the end of the episode. Picard and the butterfly at the beginning of this episode I was like, ah, oh, this is very reminiscent of Gandalf and the and the moth on top of the Isengard Tower. And then the, <laughs> the butterfly kept showing up and I'm like, OK, when are the eagles going to arrive? Uh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to say, especially because yeah. you mentioned Gandalf. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's totally OK. It's totally OK. 
Because, I mean, I can say that, yeah, the way that they brought Tasha Yar back in Next Generation, that was like a timeline thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, okay, I can live with it. But I'm strictly talking like the same exact character comes back to life. And really the only places where I'm okay with it as a, as a consumer of this entertainment is in fantasy with established magic rules like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. When it's in science fiction, it just doesn't sit as well with me when you bring the exact person back. One of the big problems, and we were talking before we started recording, is that I feel like it really takes away the emotional impact of the scene that they just did because they bring him back pretty much immediately. Right. So I had felt like that death scene was perfect for his character. It was him dying, doing what he loved. He was literally just in the captain's chair before they beamed down to the planet. He's surrounded by his new crew. He, you know, he gets to kind of pat Elnor's face a little bit. He doesn't really say anything to him. Right. But he gets this perfect, what I felt like, this is, this is perfect. And yeah, I was crying while I watched it. Okay. There were tears coming down my face. (laughs) I was like, the emotional impact of this, it's perfect. It's great. And then he's immediately alive again and in the golem. There's no time for the viewers to just like, I don't want to say like, you're like savoring the sorrow. You know what I mean? To digest it, to, to really kind of feel the extent of, of the moment. Yeah, and for it to have actual consequences that play out in real life. Right, and so um, to kind of build off a little bit of that and give kind of my perspective on, on some of that is that uh, I think it was it was clearly, like I said, the kind of the flags went up as soon as the golem was introduced and we knew Picard was in critical condition that this was what was going to happen. Now, uh, you and I had talked at, at work thinking... Maybe they'll do a a younger actor um, to kind of maybe, you know, in the case of Patrick Stewart's of advanced age with the coronavirus being more deadly towards um, elderly people, like, God forbid something were to happen for him or if he were just to pass away from natural causes, which he can never happen. He just he's not allowed to die. Um, (laughs) But. You know, they needed to be able to have something, especially with the fact that they have a season two. I have no idea how long that they intend to run the show. So the show can't run like seven years like Next Generation. Um, It could probably run at three at most with Patrick Stewart at his current age. And so maybe that they could do a younger body, but with the mind of older Picard. And then they could possibly do stuff in, in season two where, you know, if it's a holodeck session, we're seeing old Picard or, or something like that. But uh, obviously that's not what we got. And I, I agree, like, because the biggest I think one of the biggest failures of this finale is it doesn't have an adequate cliffhanger. It, it's it just it ends. I mean, it ends on a great note, but we don't have a you know post credit scene. We don't have Narissa's hand coming up out, out of the board cube or something like that. Uh, we don't see a sliver like I expected when the portal was closing, like a piece of the tentacle to get uh, cut off and like land down on the planet and it to then, you know, build itself back up. Something that would have provided us an impetus for or an idea of what season two is going to be about. And I agree, like I was I was a little taken aback because I even wrote it down as soon as uh, after because like you have that very powerful scene with Rafi and Elnor and Elnor is just bawling 
and bawling. And it, and it, it is, it is a very uh, emotional scene and very well done. But then immediately the next scene is Picard waking up in the uh, simulation with data. And I feel like what probably the better thing would have been to do is, is to end the episode with like have everything kind of play out the way it did have every everyone on the La Serena or something going off to do whatever they do and then you end the episode just with Picard's eyes opening and we I mean not even like you're on his face you were just purely the cameras on his eyes and you have the eyes flick open you don't have any you might think about the the golem but we have no context we don't know how we don't know why we don't know who we, we can only assume then at that point that the golem was used, but we don't know whose motivations were behind it, you know, and it would have been a much more, at least a, a powerful way to be like, oh, God, what happened? Like, I'm ready for season two. Like, where, where is this going to go? Was Soong behind it? Was Girardi behind it? Was some other force behind this? Like, how did he come back completely? You could have even worked it in to have something more with data involved. And data is the person like as his consciousness, like was already working on that in the background and been like, you know, I, I brought you back or something like that. It would have it just would have made more sense that to end this more on a cliffhanger, allow that moment for the audience to grieve, to truly think that Picard had passed away, even though we know a season two is on the way, something that would have given us more of a, a gasp, you know, a gasp of breath of air and going, oh, my God, what's this? Yeah. And like we had talked, I had said, again, I agree. As soon as we saw the golem, I thought, oh, well, they're just going to put him in that. But I had said, I really want them to subvert my expectations somehow in some unique way. And like we were talking before we started recording, I also had thought, what is keeping the business side of it in mind along with the story what better way to ensure that the show can continue god forbid that patrick stewart passes away than to have a younger actor and then part of his character going forward would be wrestling with the nature of his identity you know am i picard because i have all his memories you know or not right and even even um it would have been a nice kind of parallel to have kind of soji be his teacher in the sense of like he helped her kind of, in a sense, come to terms with her reality, her identity. And then she could then kind of provide that counterbalance because she's the one who answers the question, am I real? Because that was one of the things that she was questioning her entire time after discovering she was synthetic was, am I real? Is there anything about me real? I, I don't know what real is. And, and so it would have been kind of a nice uh, flip-flop of her now being the guide instead of being guided. And, yeah. And, um, go well, I was just going to say, of course, uh, go back to precedent within the Star Trek universe. When Spock comes back, he has to relearn everything. Right. So he's not immediately just exactly Spock as he was. Well, I, the only difference that I can, I can say between that is um, basically with, with what happened with Return of Spock or what, or is that the name of it? Or Search for Spock. Search for Spock yeah. um, was basically Spock being completely reborn from scratch. Uh, right. At least with this, his they mapped his mind. Now, I have an issue with how you map your mind, because wouldn't he have been brain dead? You know, at that point, like <laughs> how quickly can they map a human brain uh, with brain death not being a factor or being a factor 
to then have things like it would make more sense. So, okay, well, he died. Um, so they weren't maybe able to get a complete mapping of his brain. And so then it's the I have to fill in some of these gaps. How did I get here? What happened to me? Who are you? Who am I? And, and then give that being season two is Picard's search for Picard going back to Earth, discovering his roots, learning about his crew, re-meeting, you know, maybe Geordi or Worf or some of the other crew of the Enterprise for cameos. It, it would be potentially a better uh, idea for a story for season two. I, I totally agree. Yeah, because you have the story, which everyone, well, not everyone, <laughs> there's always somebody who have a problem with it, but right. most people would probably really enjoy a story like that because you're doing a lot of callbacks and a lot of, you know, going back to things that already happened. And then you will also have the business side of it that you can continue to call the show Picard, you know, and still have Patrick Stewart there, like you said, in like hollows or flashbacks or whenever they're in his mind. Yeah. And, and you get the best of both worlds. You ensure that the show can continue if something happens to Patrick Stewart. Right. And can you even imagine a, a, a Q episode with a Picard who doesn't know Q and like having Q being like, you forgot me? Like, how could you forget <laughs> me? Like, and then you could do even, uh, I know people hate them, but I kind of love clip shows, um, where you can have it kind of relive some next generation moments and, and replay some of those older memories and like Q being instrumental with Picard coming to terms or remembering his identity. Uh, yeah, there were, there were things that they could have done a little bit better. And, but I am glad that we kind of postponed doing an episode nine review because I kind of had a, a very uh, negative reaction to episode nine. I, I didn't one. It was it was short because it was only a 45 minute episode and we had just had had like three 50 something minute episodes and we went back to a 40 some odd minute episode and it felt like a lot of things kind of coming into play and like the instant betrayal, the synthetics going immediately acting like, well, all organics are bad, but we're the children of data. And we know how data felt about the card and, and everything like that. And like Soong's kind of instant, like, Oh, I'm ready to write off all humanity. Cause one of my children was murdered. Uh, and it just, it felt all really weird and incomplete. And it definitely got balanced out a lot by the second half. Um, and it helped that the second half was was uh, a longer episode. But then at, at points, I, I was, like I said, when I was going through the kind of the scene by scenes, all of a sudden it's like, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And you're like, oh, God, like, how am I keeping track of all these different little story bits all happening at the same time? And uh, it, it, it was a little bit rushed, but at the same time, like I felt like at least it did a good enough job to kind of rectify the issues I had with the, with episode nine, uh, and going, okay, this played out a little bit better than what I was thinking. There's still some issues there. Um, and the, sh the shoehorning in of like seven and Rafi, uh, kind of possibly being a couple or being interested in each other felt very ham fisted, uh, like you said before, before we started, um, it was like checking off a box. Uh, it just, there, yeah, there was, there's, there's no setup for no. it. There's no story. Like we had said, I don't care if they want to make them a couple, but you didn't, you didn't do anything to earn it. You're just checking a box. Right. And like, even when, 
you have the free cloud episode where you know Seven's on board the ship. Rafi goes and does her own thing, so like they don't even have a whole lot of interaction with each other. In fact, they had very little, and they didn't even have any interaction in this episode until that scene. So it, it just didn't like like the the Rios and Girardi thing was earned. We had it established back in earlier episodes that they had a little flirty attitude with each other, and then they kind of hooked up, and then she felt guilty about everything, and. And then, like, they have their moment on uh, in uh, the quarters with Spot. And and then it, you know, culminates into this. Like, that at least was earned. It was developed. I mean, maybe not developed well, but at least we had the moments there to understand why these two are all of a sudden kissing on, on you know, the deck of the starship. Um, I also, like, again... This is the problem with them not having a, a strong enough cliffhanger for a season two. And it's potentially a, a, a fear that they probably weren't going to get renewed or, or maybe they weren't sure if this would get renewed. But it got renewed immediately before the even the first episode aired. And so I'm like, why don't you go in? You got a little bit of time. You're releasing these episodes week by week. You can fit in a quick little reshoot of a couple scenes to do something to set up for season two. Uh, Like I said, like they could have done the Picard waking up uh, and just the eyes and given us a cliffhanger there or, you know, because I I I felt like that the Picard death was the possibility of, okay, we're not going to get renewed. We're going to be a one season show um, and we're going to give Picard his swan song. We're going to give him doing his self-sacrifice standing for everything that he felt Starfleet stood for and Starfleet had betrayed with the synthetic ban and everything. But uh, then they're like, oh, we're renewed. Well, now we got to bring him back. Let's okay. let's rework this. Let's add the Gollum in. Let's have this all kind of, you know, wrap up with a tiny bow. But they still ended the season as if it were a one season show. And that's where I have a problem. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about what like how they kind of wrap this season up. Yeah, I I just agree. They didn't they didn't give us any kind of a cliffhanger to come back to. They probably definitely were thinking that they were only going to be one season, or that they wanted to try and at least do one season well enough so that if they didn't get renewed, that they could just you know say, oh well, we're a one season wonder. You know, here it is on streaming. Watch it whenever you want. You right, know, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, the little the little wrap ups at the end, like with Girardi and and Rios, and then Rafi and Seven. I like. I don't know. I still don't care about the pairings of people. Yeah. But I'm not like I'm not a rom com kind of person. Like I'm not <laughs> totally into. I want to know everybody's romance stories and pair people off. So that's not really anything that's on my radar to begin with. Well, I, I would say shipping in television shows is, I don't like to use this term, but it's toxic. It is very toxic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got toxic fandoms to it, and I don't even like using that word either, um, or that phrase rather, because I, I remember, um, and someone I respect, and I follow them on Twitter, and, and I like their, their takes on a lot of things, but uh, even though the, the, the show The Passage only lasted a season, they got really mad because they paired two characters up and it wasn't the characters paired up with who she wanted them to be paired up with. So therefore she was decrying the entire show 
because they didn't pair this particular character up with this particular character. And I've watched enough of this, like I said, the CWDC shows, which do a lot of the, the drama and, ooh, you know, are they going to date? Are they not going to date? Oh, this character ends up with this character. They break up. Now this person's cheating on this person. Like, they do kind of the the uh, soap opera romance stuff. And so it doesn't... When, it, when a show like Picard does it very lightly, it, it doesn't bother me as much. But yet, the just shoehorning in something that's not earned and that's that's a big problem I have with any type of franchise like any type of show any type of character if you don't earn it it's it's not it's not justified and I'm not going to like it much like how uh, if the show had started uh, I guess we'll go into kind of our overall thoughts of the entire uh, season if the show had been focused completely on Dodge and we have Dodge from episode one being almighty and all powerful throughout the entire season, I would have hated it. I would have yeah, hated the entire season because that's, and it was why it was perfect that they kill her. And then we're introduced to Soji and we spend enough about half the season with Soji, not knowing anything about that part of her and coming to then learning about it and coming to terms with it. And then still struggling with it all the way through to the finale. Uh, if you, I know you, I've kind of interrupted you there, but go ahead and say your thoughts. Oh, uh, well, I was just kind of thinking about, should we rate each episode or rate them together and then go into the season wrap? Um, okay. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's rate them, uh, together. Cause since we did it kind of together as one episode, uh, and I kind of view it that way, uh, I think I will land on a, a four, four out of five. If I were to break it up uh, between the two episodes, I would say episode nine is like a three and a half uh, and episode uh, 10 is more like a four to a four and a half. So I'm kind of meeting them halfway and coming out of four for a total. Um, That's pretty much exactly what I had already written down when I was doing my notes. <laughs> uh, well, that's the one thing I think people might, uh, if they've listened to these episodes, might complain. You and I agree a lot uh, <laughs> kind of on our ratings, but I think that's because you and I have kind of the same level of passion for the show. We pick up a lot of the same things and we have a lot of the same understanding um, and it would be great to kind of have, and I thought we were, I thought we were going to have a little combative moment because, uh, you had watched the episode before me, the uh, episode 10, and you had sent me a message and you were like, uh, I don't know how I feel about it. it has highs and lows. I was like, oh boy, oh boy. And then I watched it and I was like, ah, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. And then we, you know, talked beforehand and we still ended up kind of still on the same spectrum, but I was like, Oh no, are we going to go into a heated debate about how we felt about this finale? But we still ended up about on the same, same path. Um, I think overall as a season, um, I'm going to still land on a four, um, because it, it did have some down moments. It did have some issues. Uh, but I think with bringing a character like Picard back to the small screen. Um, how long has it been since it's been off the air? It's 20 some odd years, almost 30 years. Um, that's going to be a difficult task for anyone to do. And I think like the people that have been out there hating on the show or just being detractors because they want to be detractors, you were never going to please those fans. You, those really die hard, dig their heels into the mud, 
can accept any type of change whatsoever from, from their normal status quo. Um, we're never going to fully accept Star Trek Picard. And so knowing that, you know, before going into this, the series and, and having dealt with discovery and having several frustrations with discovery and, and trying to be lenient. I mean, I've been trying to still get you to still rewatch it at some point and, and finish <laughs> it. Uh, oh, I told you, if you make me do it for the podcast, then I'll do it. <laughs> well, I'll have to think about it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to relive the episodes. It's not <laughs> one that I need to go back and rewatch the episodes. Like, And again, this is uh, this is a good point to bring up because uh, I would have forgotten it had you not mentioned that. Um, I had no issue watching these episodes every week. The only issue I had was, am I going to find time to fit it in my schedule to watch it? But I wanted to watch them. I was eager each week to watch an episode. Whereas with Discovery, I kind of did for I did for the first season. I was going week to week. And then when they took their little uh, midseason break, I was uh, when it came back, I was like, uh, all right, I'll let two go by and then I'll watch two on a weekend uh, and then finish out the season. Now, when it got to season two and it got to a certain point. I waited until the season was done. And then I finally like at one point I was like, all right, I'm just going to binge these last four episodes and get it done. Like it felt like a chore to watch Discovery and Picard never felt like that other than, OK, I've got to sit down and I got to take notes so I can thoroughly formulate my thoughts and, and and discuss the show. That's the only part of the chore that felt about it. But watching it, I, I felt like I was kind of back in the Star Trek world. It felt like Star Trek. It acted like Star Trek. Uh, it, I felt like it treated Picard with respect, uh, which other people have not felt like it's treated with, with respect, that it's destroyed Picard, that it's destroyed the history of Star Trek. I, I don't see it. Um, so I, I think overall as a season, it, it was very good, has its high moments, has its low moments. But I think it's a good almost return to form. I think if you have Michael Shaban write more of the episodes, because I think he wrote more of the latter half of the, the season than he did the first half, because um, even the, the Riker Troy episode, I think that was all written by him. That's a man who knows his Trek and loves the characters. And that's why that's one of the best episodes, in my opinion, of the season. Uh, not just because we have Riker and Troy back, but just because it... it it, it all just felt like we were in an episode of Next Generation, that this was just like it hadn't even been off the air for as long as it's been off the air. And so I think if you get him more in charge of season two as kind of the head writer and him making the important story decisions, maybe these kind of things that we didn't like or things that weren't fleshed out well enough from this season would be, will be better explained or will have a better story for next season. So that's kind of my overall, overall thoughts. Uh, what are yours? Um, as far as the rating for the season as a whole, I'd go ahead and give it a 4.5 and that 0.5 is like the nostalgia boost, okay. you know, of, of being a fan and coming back to it, you know, like you said, after like 20 something years and the, and the movies and just to have him back in that role, Patrick Stewart back as Picard and, 
him doing such a good job. I was just, like I said many times, I was just spellbound watching him be Picard. It was just awesome. So uh, that boosts the season up as a whole for me to like a 4.5 out of 5. Okay. Again, I, I agree with you. There were high points, there were low points, but overall as like a first season in a sci-fi show, I think it was good. Um, it didn't give you any kind of a cliffhanger for a season two. So, you know, again, we discussed that, but, you know, that would be a low point for me because you're not setting yourself up for what's coming next. But uh, one of the things that I did think about the season as a whole, now that we can go back and like binge watch it, is it really makes me think that it was it was like taking one episodic episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and pulling it out to 10. Yeah. Because a lot of times in those episodes, you know, they're like, well, this is going to take me 16 hours to do. And of course, we don't see those 16 hours. We come back when they're ready and they meet again to, you know, put up whatever shields or try whatever tractor beam thing that they were doing. So this was like actually getting to see the whole arc of almost every moment of what actually happens in one episodic episode from Next Generation. And I really liked that idea that if we sat down and binged it, it would be like you're seeing this is the whole, this is the whatever episode, you know, with Soji. Only you get to actually see piece by piece by piece by piece. Yeah, and I think that that was the, uh, I think that was the biggest hurdle for people to come over. I've mentioned it, I think, several times in the prior episodes that people... I can't think went in there with expectations that this would be almost a, an immediate clone of next generation. And I think they were very clear and straightforward in marketing and talking about it and press releases that this was going to be a little bit different. I mean, they, they tested it out with discovery at first of doing more of an actual season long arc versus episodic, uh, seasons where it's like, okay, you could watch uh, an episode from season six and then go and watch an episode from season four or even just go straight to seven and not really feel like anything's completely out of order other than some maybe costume designs or or certain bits because they they weren't like, OK, starting at the beginning of uh, season uh, six. We are dealing with this plot from the Romulans to take over uh, the uh, take over Starfleet. And then every episode that season, with a few exceptions, uh, kind of really dealt with that overall arc. And uh, the closest I think they got to that before, uh, you know, doing this with with Picard and with Discovery, DS9 was kind of one of the first ones that really did these long form arcs they still have their kind of intermittent episodes in between for most of the season but with a lot dealing with the the wormhole and uh, the prophets and all that stuff like that really and then the dominion war lasting like three seasons or four seasons i, I think it's get introduced in season three um that's where it just it, it i think people had this expectation that it was going to be v- almost carbon copy he's going to be in a starfleet vessel uh he's going to be commanding a a starfleet crew and instead we got something a little bit different and you know a little bit different's not not wrong and i i'm one who hates change uh (laughs) straight up say it i hate change 
But a change, I think, that they did with this was just what was kind of needed to boost a little extra life into it. We're focusing on Picard, the character, and not the Star Trek universe. And I think it succeeded in that mission. Um, I don't have much else to say. I don't know if you have any other final thoughts you want to want to get out there. I have one final question. Okay. What about the XBs? Seven and Elnor, just leave them there. See, again, like, they're not really good on their, their timelines. Like, I mean, because we don't see the whole, like, all of a sudden, immediately, the ban on synthetics is is uh, over. We don't have to worry about that. They can travel wherever they go. Picard's up and running like nothing's, you know, like he hasn't missed a day. Uh, they're all together. Like I said, uh, Girardi apparently doesn't have to worry about going to jail for murdering Maddox. Um, so... We have no idea from the time that Picard wakes up and disconnects Data's consciousness to them leaving on the La Serena. Could be months, could be weeks, could be a year. We have no idea. Maybe that's... And see, that's the thing. Like, okay, if they've been on, on Capellius for a year, then we can understand why Seven and, and Rafi maybe have a relationship. But we're not really really given those details uh we don't know if they got the board cube up and running again i mean it was trying to self-repair uh you had the xbs working on there um maybe they left with uh starfleet you know they got all of them up and they're taking them and they're allowing them to become citizens of the federation and and this uh, completely random but this also kind of bothered me uh i think it was my second watch through of episode nine, uh, when they talk about Hugh's death and Picard says something about what can it take to make a, a, a gentle being violent or something like that. And I'm like, but Hugh never was really violent. All he wanted to do was take back the board cube. So it just, it didn't, that, that felt weird. Uh, that, that line just didn't really make sense to me. Um, well, overall ending, this season finale was far better than my most hated season finale of Star Trek Enterprise season four. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, uh, of course, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, I, I'm like the one person who doesn't hate that finale. But again, I haven't watched all of Enterprise yet. I own it. I don't know how I haven't watched all of it yet. Uh, I've only made it through like two seasons that I can remember. Uh not that not because I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. I'm never going to finish it. Uh, it's just I'm watching so many damn different things that it's <laughs> it is so hard to you know keep straight. Uh, I yeah. did well, that, I, that episode clearly is an example of what happens when the writers and the showrunners are like all of a sudden, crap, we're canceled. We got to slap something together. Right. Right. And that's why I like had this had this been a one season, I think we would both be kind of okay with how this ended um, because it's like, Oh, they're just going to continue on their adventures or they would have maybe had it worked and Picard died. And that was his swan song. I think we would have been fine, but since we know we're getting another season, we'll probably get another 10 episodes. We're left wanting a little bit more to know, okay, what's going to be coming. At least I can give the benefit of discovery. This the end of season one had the the original Enterprise showing up at the at the end of the episode. And you're going, holy crap, we're going to see Pike. And then you had this uh, season two end with, OK, Discovery went 900 years into the future, so they can't screw up any more timeline canon. Uh, 
and Pike and everyone else in Starfleet have had to classify that. So that's why we hear no mention of Burnham as Spock's sister. We have no mention of Discovery at all. Um, but okay, what's going to happen now that they're in the future? So that's where I would say that this is lacking in compared to Discovery. Uh, otherwise, it blows Discovery out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it. Um, I appreciate um, you joining me for these basically not. I mean, we haven't done 10 individual episodes, but for this 10 weeks of episodes and uh, we're going to have you on for more. I'm sure I know we need to start doing Clone Wars um, reviews uh, at some point because, you know, we've got what we've six episodes now in the Clone Wars. I, I watched it this yep. morning um, and uh, we're going to have you on more for some more uh, reviews and stuff. Uh, if we can find some movies that we know you can watch because I know you don't do horror. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see you guys next time. Uh, if you're not following us, you can follow us on Twitter at critics, not our critics NT cynics. Uh, on Twitter, you can, and then on Facebook, you can follow the podcast at just critics, not cynics. Um, you can follow the podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Podbean, um, Castbox, Google Play, anywhere basically you can get podcasts. The only one we're just not on is SoundCloud, um, and you can write into the podcast at criticsnotcynics at gmail dot com, and uh, I think that's uh, that's it. So we will see you guys next time.